The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. friends and thanks for listening to moon tower soccer this week we'll review the minnesota united match in depth we'll preview the two matches this week against san jose and houston and we'll also cover a few other bits of austin fc news my name is landon cottom and i am not joined by mr jeremiah bentley he is out of town right now so i am joined once again by mr chris wellhausen hello i'm back again baby (laughs) two for two this these weeks (laughs) So Jeremiah texted me this morning and told me happy birthday and said that it's a great day to go full wellhouse. <laughs> <laughs> one so, day I feel like one of my family members is just going to stumble into this like pit of Twitter where that's becoming a saying and be so alarmed by my <laughs> life choices. I'm definitely, my whole family is not like this. <laughs> they would be very alarmed to hear things like that. <laughs> Uh, so I just want to take a minute to uh, say thank you to all the folks on Twitter and sending me text messages and uh, and messages in various places telling me happy birthday today. Uh, I think we get like we're all we all know each other and all all are kind of gathering around this soccer team, right? And so I think we get stuck into to the soccer stuff a lot. And it, I, sometimes I kind of forget that one of the the best parts of all of this has been the community that's been built around this. And today was a really great reminder of that and kind of a little trip down memory lane of all the people that I've met over the last few years. And so thank you all for, for reaching out. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to making some more memories over the next few years. Yeah, man, it's been really sweet seeing everybody. Uh, wish you happy birthday. Uh, on a similar note, I just wanted to make uh, a quick quick note here um my half birthday was actually pretty recent and no one said a thing so <laughs> thanks guys for giving landon all the love you know it's pretty big half birthday for me so whatever um i guess we should just talk about some soccer or something now i guess so i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry that happened to you chris yeah you were one of them that forgot landon so <laughs> just saying i'll try to make it up to you somehow <laughs> all right let's jump into reviewing the zero one loss to minnesota uh so austin dominated this game statistically possession was 66 34 which we've discussed on the show before possession has rarely meant that much for austin but it came along with 19 shots eight shots on target which was 19 to 12 in, uh in shots and then eight to three in shots on target we also had more crosses more corners we won more duels but scored zero goals and so uh, I know in one, the last show you were on, or maybe in, we were talking not on the show, you were kind of pining for a little bit of a throwback to to early season tactics and form. Is this what you were talking about, where we get a bunch of chances and don't score any goals? Yeah, it feels good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do think it is a good example or, or kind of reminder because it's like a heightened version of what we saw at the beginning of the year, right? Like we've got better pieces and Jeep danger, you see kind of elevating that game and we looked good. You know, I, I referenced that because I think early in the season, we looked competitive in every game and I missed that, but this, we looked more than competitive. I mean, we, I, on the replay too, we looked like the better team in a lot of ways. And I really did kind of strike me as one of those games where if just one of those shots went in and, or Tyler Miller wasn't Superman for the night. Like, yeah. It, it could be a, a way different discussion. 
So in the post-game press conference, uh, Josh Wolf said that he was happy with how they played. And so like they played a good game, just the chances didn't fall. After watching it, what like will we call this a good game? I'm not really I've seen people push back against that. And like I don't really know how to think about it at this point. I think I, I can already hear people replying after the, the contrast between can, last week's episode and this of what I'm about to say is going to be very noticeable. I guess but, let's not say a good game because we lost, so it's not a good game, but a good performance. No, can we I call this is, a good performance? I think you can call it a, a good performance. Um, and, you know, you got to take it in context. Uh, Minnesota is a good team and they played what I think is their strongest starting 11. Um, and they're fighting if they're of all the teams in the league, they have some of the most to fight for right now, right? They're on the playoff line. They're going to come in hot. You know, it is upsetting. We didn't at least get a tie, but it's a good performance. It's, you know, that's just how the game works sometimes is, is it just doesn't fall your way. And I do actually agree a lot with Josh. And I liked his, his quotes in the press conference of saying the, you know, the team shouldn't be disappointed. They should be pissed off. I loved that because that's exactly how they should feel. And he should be the one like, getting that out of them is saying like, you played well and I'm going to defend you in the, in this press conference in the media and, and kind of keep the attention on me with these big quotes and, and then go out on, on Wednesday and, and give it to him because like you deserved more than you got today. And I think he's right. Yeah. I mean, looking back at, um, at the shots that were taken, I think just a rough count. It looks like nine of the shots were from inside the box, which again, like we, he, Wolf is right. We were getting into some really good spots. We got some really good chances that yeah. players just kind of scuffed or didn't didn't take well and didn't finish them. So uh, let's let's run through some of those chances uh, real quick. So early on, I think Cecilio had one about the eighth minute, and Gteg had one about the tenth minute, and then not long after that, Driusi almost scored a banger in the eleventh mm. minute. He tried to put it on a on a postage stamp that top top left corner and it was just wide but that would have been amazing if you would have scored that one yeah it was really good and i mean that first 10 minutes it was like we were all over them and we were we were suffocating them it was it was ridiculous you know i mean you talk about wanting it more or, or even just being set up well and both of those to a full degree i mean you know a little credit to Josh Wolf they came out hungry yeah, so uh, fortunes kind of changed a little bit in the 15th minute. So uh, Minnesota was attacking. Fragapane plays a square ball across the top of the box. Alex Ring easily picks it off. There's a little bit of pressure on him, so he turns and is going to drop it back to his center back. He doesn't see that uh, when Fragapane noticed that Ring was going to pick that ball off, Fragapane continues the run and kind of follows the ball and is going to go back and press the center back so Ring wouldn't have uh, an outlet there. Ring does not notice this. He turns, plays a really gentle ball back to Cascante. Fragapani easily cuts it out. He lays it uh, – I'm sorry, he he uh, combines with a few guys. It opens up Reynoso for a shot, a left-footed shot at the top of the box. Stuver saves it, but he's only able to kind of like parry it back out. Hassani Dotson picks it up, plays a hard ball across the top of the six, and it goes past several Austin FC defenders, finds Fragapane again on the far the far post, and he slots it past Stuver. So this whole play started with that ring giveaway, uh, but I was watching it trying to pick out who exactly else was at fault. Like, Do you have any ideas on that? 
I do. You know, when I rewatched the play, and while it's his fault for letting that situation unfold, it was certainly a situation you could have salvaged more from. I mean, again, you know, talking earlier about our chances not going and that just being part of the game, like if Stuver deflects that just a little wider or holds on to it, you know, maybe the whole result's different. Um, but in the same way, the one thing that really frustrated me was watching once he kind of squares it, or I think once he uh, hits it towards and Stuver deflects it, uh, all of our defenders are just ball watching. You know, I think Romagna started to step towards, but was just so far from where the ball ended up. But um, Cascante and I, I think Kolmanich were the ones behind him, and they just yeah, that's I mean, right. were completely still, which you've got to be more active when you're that close to your goal. And that was that was pretty frustrating. I think they both individually kind of kind of failed there. Yeah, there were I think there were two players behind them in that moment. And you'd think they need to at least be aware that they're there. And it looked like Cascante, maybe if he were reacted a little bit quicker to that cross could have cut it out and maybe cleared it but yeah i think that's uh, it's, an instance where you got to be just checking your shoulder like yeah you're paranoid right i mean one of them at least and, and normally i think ring is the guy that's more central and carries out wide to pick up those runs but obviously he's trying to make up for his mistake and we know he gets kind of kind of hot once he's once he's pissed off and i think it, it kind of carried him in the wrong direction unfortunately yeah i i think overall kolmanich had a decent game he put in some really dangerous crosses carried the ball fairly well but this is one of those those areas of his game that he still needs to mature a little bit in is kind of that uh and i, I the other one that i would have mentioned earlier on the season is that kind of the toughness in defending and i feel like he's improved in that i think i think he's getting better at that but that awareness mm-hmm. in the box right there i think we've seen him maybe react a little bit slow a few times this season. So uh, hopefully that's a lesson learned for him. Um, There was a controversial moment in the 27th minute that a lot of people were calling for a back pass by Gasper. I think it was, I don't remember if it was a shot or a pass, but Mm. Chase Gasper was kind of recovering into the box, sticks a leg, leg out, the ball hits his leg, and it goes straight to Tyler Miller, who picks up the ball with his hands. Did you, did you think there's anything in that? So this is where I have to humble brag to give my perspective. So I was actually photographing the game for Los Verdes. And so I was on the field and I was behind the goal when that happened. And it didn't register because it happened so quick. And I just glanced over my shoulder to to see because I could hear, you know, the, the noise getting higher as they were getting closer. And it looked a hundred percent like a pass. I mean, he you can see it's, you know, that rule is a little gray to me of what where the line is drawn, but I mean, you see him kind of square up and and get his foot just right, so it's it's just gentle enough. I mean, it it wasn't like a deflection off of his foot or some I, sort of ricochet. I, I think it was a deflection. So thinking back, I think it was a through pass. I think somebody was making a run behind Gasper there, and so the rule with the back pass is it, it has to be an intentional backwards pass to the keeper. Therefore, deflections don't count. So if he was trying to make a play on the ball and it happens to bounce off his foot and then go to the keeper, it's not a back pass. And I I honestly think that's what was happening. I think mm. I can't remember the exact situation, but I think there was a player making a run in behind. Gasper is just lunging to get anything on it and he does and it goes to Miller. So I I think you maybe could have called it, but I think it would have been a, a little bit harsh on on Gasper to to call a back pass there. Yeah, it's a tough call. I guess we'll just have to go with whoever was closest on the field. So hmm, probably right on this one. <laughs> um, there are several good chances in the second half. So uh, I think one of the better ones was Kolmanich in the 52nd minute. 
Pochettino ends, I think maybe Fagundes sets him up to, to make a little driving run into the box with the ball. He squares it into Gite. Gite plays a really clever little flick behind him to set up uh, Kolmanich at the top of the, like just outside the six yard box, maybe just inside the 18. Um, and he tries to hit it and just pulls it super wide and gets nowhere mm-hmm. close. But he was set up to have a really good opportunity where the keeper didn't know which way he was going to go. Uh, I think, I think he tried to hit it with his left foot and with the angle. I'm I'm starting to realize that he plays the ball with his left foot a lot of times when maybe he shouldn't and should just play with his weaker foot. So maybe that's another weakness we found in this game is him just being very one-footed. But um, I kind of feel like at that angle, if he hit it with his right foot and even just like tried to place it, he could would have done a little bit better there. But uh, yeah, really, really big missed opportunity in yeah, that I moment. Think- I think those two moments though you just described are is a good, you know, echo of what we were saying earlier and it being a good performance because as a, you know, it's weird to say that, right? Because they're two bad misses, but as a unit, the chance creations were really good. Those were both, they were both in great positions. They we moved the ball really well to get to that point. And even if you kind of freeze frame around them, they're not alone in the box. You know, I mean, I think in that uh Pochettino miss we were three for three of attackers versus defenders like we were crashing the box really well which I know Wolf's been crying out for so I think it's a sad case of guys not taking their opportunities well enough and kind of seizing the moment but as a unit we were set up really well and you, know, you listed the amount of shots earlier but on target but even the ones that some that were off target were really really good chances yeah absolutely so um there are several other Austin chances that I think we'll maybe touch on in some of the individual player discussion, but uh, Minnesota almost made it 2-0 in the 88th minute or maybe a little bit later than that, but Fragapane had not quite point blank because the angle was a little bit strange and there's a defender there, but a chance really close to the goal that he skied over the top of the bar. And then right in kind of the dying seconds, Cascante had a header that was floating but floating towards the top corner and Miller was able to save it but uh that that ended up being kind of the last chance of the game before the final whistle so jumping into some of the individual player performances um we can kind of move through the whole team and talk about players that we thought are worth noting but I want to start with the center backs I think uh, they both looked a little bit uneasy at times on the ball, but they also both played some really good line breaking, breaking passes and they were both pretty solid defensively. I thought this was one of the games where our defenders had the fewest mistakes. I know we just essentially said they, they didn't do good enough on that goal, but uh, it was kind of a combination of several small mistakes as opposed to one huge mistake, which is what we've been seeing a lot over the, the the course of the season. And there are mistakes that, you know, you, you can clean up after, like you said, they weren't like so egregious that it was like, Oh my God, the second it happens, you know, you're just like absolutely screwed. But um, one player in particular are those center backs is I've been really impressed with Romagna lately, you know, like week over week, I feel like in the past couple of months, I've, I've noticed a lot of improvement and this game was a good example. I mean, that one recovery play he made where, I can't remember if he had kind of made the mistake or if someone had put him in a bad position, but someone had basically broken through the back line and was driving in on goal and he fully recovers, takes the ball and then 
hits the ball back as he's sliding out of bounds to ricochet it off yeah. the guy, the attacker. Yeah, I remember that one. And I was just like, again, that was, you know, I was kind of fortunate. I just glanced over my shoulder and I was basically where he hit that ball. I was right there. And I've never seen such a incredible like defensive play that close. And it was just, it was inch perfect. It was, it was kind of remarkable to watch it from the angle I got. Um, but he's, he's been great. He's really, I mean, he looks better on the ball in general. I think, like you said, I think he's making a lot better passes. And I love that he's, you know, not afraid to carry the ball forward a little bit at times, which we're seeing more frequently. And he does that pretty well, actually. Like, right? he's like surprisingly like secure when he's dribbling with the ball, which is, well, you see it once and you think maybe it's a fluke, but he's done it several times now and like does it pretty well. He, he gives me a lot of hope for the future because it seems like we're starting to see him really evolve as a defender, which in year one is, is impressive, especially switching to MLS, which a lot of uh, defenders who aren't familiar with the league really struggle to adjust. Um, but you got to think if we give him a really strong pairing and he continues to grow like this, like that's a good defensive setup um, down the road. But I've, yeah, I've been really enjoying watching his, his game grow and it's been, it's been really encouraging. I think he's one of the bright spots of the night. Yeah. He's, he still needs to clean up some of his off ball defending because he has made quite a few mistakes in the most recent games. So just ball watching or kind of falling asleep on the backside, but uh, a lot of really, yeah, a lot of really strong things from, from him. I kind of want to point out a tactical thing that I noticed while we're talking about the center back. So I kept noticing that Minnesota, they weren't pressing super high all the time, but they were pressing. And I kept noticing that our tins, uh, Driussi and uh, Pochettino weren't always very quick to drop back and help building out of the back. And I wasn't really sure why I was thinking maybe that Pochettino just wasn't doing it. But after the rewatch, I kind of think this was maybe under instruction from Wolf. I think he was asking the center backs to be the ones to break that press. Hmm. And that maybe they were the ones being a little bit hesitant to do it because as the game moved on, you start seeing them trying to find those line breaking passes and making them pretty often. And then also you saw both of them, uh, kind of sidestep a defender and then drive forward themselves. And I kind of think that's what Wolf wants them to do, which is like positional play is all about creating creating advantages, numerical advantages or skill advantages, whatever it is. But if you leave those tins high, if Ring and the center backs can break that first line of the press, then you have your best attacking players further up the field. Um, I could see that being a thing that Wolf instructed them to do. It's a little bit risky, but we saw it kind of work a few times as far as moving the ball forward. But um, I think both Johan and Cascante did fairly well doing that for the most part. That's super interesting to note too, um, because it's, it's like kind of fascinating, like tactical wrinkle, because if you think about it too, something I've noticed and didn't think too much of is uh, early in the season, I really wanted to see us keep our fullbacks further back when we we're, kind of passing the ball around like that, just to have more options out wide, which I feel like I've slowly seen more and more of um, in kind of subtle ways. But if you think about it in the beginning of the season, if you're bringing your tens back, you have to play out through the middle and it kind of invites their midfield to come further forward and press much more aggressively because just by nature of tracking their man, they've got more bodies in our half. Whereas if you do the opposite and you're kind of spacing it out wide, but even more so keeping those tens further up the field, it 
kind of makes their midfielders say like, you either have to commit to this press. And if you mess up, we outnumber you on the counter, which is what the whole point of building out of the back is, is like kind of create a counter attack by inviting them in. Right. Um, and it gives you more options to just kind of play sideline to sideline with, with your fullbacks a little more tucked in, um, which I had not not connected those dots, but that's a really interesting adjustment. And, uh, hopefully we see more of that because I think it, it worked really well. Cause I remember feeling like Minnesota was, well, they're not an out and out pressing team. They were really aggressive and they, they clearly were fighting for it. And I thought we played really well through that at a lot of points. So it's, it's a, that's a good observation. And it's, it's interesting. To, it'll be interesting to see if that's really defined going forward, especially this week, which we'll talk about later against San Jose, which has got such a distinct style of play that yeah. that could really expose. Uh, so a player who I thought maybe didn't have a great night was Cecilio Dominguez. What was your take on his performance? This is maybe like the only time I'll get hot with my takes tonight. I, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think um, when people talk about like Wolf in or Wolf out, uh, it's always a discussion of, is it on the manager? Or is it on the players for not being good enough? And I think tonight's a good example. And I say this as someone who literally last week was arguing for Wolf out of we as a unit looked really well like people were positioned really well they were fighting really hard there's a lot of things i can credit wolf for in this game start to finish um but players like dominguez just did not live up to the billing tonight i mean they he really he had multiple chances that he he just wasn't sharp enough he was maybe overthinking he was took too many dribbles and you know, we'll talk about Drewsy more later. He was, he was great. You know, it's like, he doesn't put a foot wrong and that's how Alex ring is a lot too, but you need your big players to be like that in those moments. And the, the weight can't all be on one DP. You have three for a reason, because if one guy's just not finding the net, you need one of the other two to really step up and, and claim. And I thought Dominguez had multiple points where it was like, this is the moment you want your DP in that spot to take it. And, and he just, didn't and it kills me because it's so close but it's just not there he wasn't bad either like is the thing like he didn't make a bunch of huge mistakes it wasn't like a full-on like negative performance but whenever he's the second highest player paid player on the team it's not good enough and it needs to be better than that he needs to be big in those moments and Mm -hmm. so he did he did end up kind of creating a few a few chances that were good but I feel like a lot of times you I think you hinted at this but there are moments where we kind of had them in transition and we'd find Cecilio out wide and in these moments he needs to decide like am I taking this guy on and if he is then do it and if he's not move the ball and there's a lot of times where he would receive it and he's like, okay, I'm not going to take this guy on. And he's just like kind of surveyed the landscape for a while. And like, yeah. that's, this isn't your job, Cecilio. Let other guys survey the landscape. Your job is to receive the ball, either take the guy on or don't take the guy on. And he would slow down these, these transition moments where it, it wasn't the moment to do that. Yeah. I think what's really tough with him and I, and I love Cecilio. He's like, got, he's got such a great character and he clearly works hard and I want him to succeed, but what's so hard with him is he kind of deceives, right? Like his work rates typically very good. He's, he's in good positions. He, he has these kind of flashy moments sometimes. And he's like this game, he has shots that are really close. And you're like, Oh, if it's just a little better next time. I bet he's got it. But the problem is this deep into the season, I just don't know if I've seen like a real DP moment from him, you know, even in the, was it a, the, 
uh, what was the game we just played a few weeks ago? He got two goals. Uh, was it RSL? I think it was. There's too many games going on at once. Um, <laughs> but even against RSL in that game, you know, they were they're good goals and he's in the right spot at the right time. But it wasn't like he just took a guy on and absolutely like scorched him and, and made something of nothing, right? Like you want your DPs to show up and do. And I don't know, the more I watch him, the more I just start to feel like he's kind of a, a low budget Carlos Vela, right? Like in those moments, that's why Vela gets paid what he does because he he takes them and he he can he'll take the guy on. He thinks and makes decisions quickly. And I just always see him like, oh, he's out wide, just in the same kind of position I watch Vela take advantage of. And time after time, he he just dribbles too much or he waits too long or he takes a shot when maybe he should have waited a little bit longer and, and tossed a through ball to the, the late runner. And it's it's frustrating. And, you know, I, in the same sense, we were talking about maybe Wolf has a lot of pressure at the start of next season. I think guys like him will have a lot of pressure too because that's a lot of money in a really crucial spot to if he's not going to be the big guy in that in those big moments, we got to get someone else who will, because in games like this, he should be winning it for us. Yeah. I, I'm not ready to call it a day on him because he's been playing out of necessity, out of position for almost the whole season. And so I think we should give him some time to settle in over there and, and find his role in the team and know like when is the time to do what um i i think it's going to be kind of his nature to be a little bit mercurial he's going to be really hot sometimes and and not so great sometimes i think that's just the kind of player he is but i think as the rest of the team kind of settles in and everyone finds their spots i think cecilio could have a role in this team that could end up being really dangerous but uh yeah, yeah we're we're not and, not always seeing it right now yeah and just to be clear i'm not saying he should we should be eager to get him out the door or anything. I just do think that the beginning of next season, there should be a big spotlight on him because, yeah. you know, you, we talk about giving players time to adjust and that applies to DPs too. Um, but he's, he's got to, the adjustment has to happen next season. We've got to see some more of those moments where it could have been a, a one Oh loss or it could have been a tie game that he makes into a win or he pulls one back for us and he takes that big moment and, and rises to the occasion. You know, I just, I want to see more of that from him and hopefully we, we start to, like you said, now that he's in his natural position and he's got pieces that kind of equip him to play better around him. But yeah, it's, it's frustrating in games like this because you, you want him to be that guy and, and he's, he's so close to being that guy with some of his, his chances and shots, but he just, he's just not right now. Uh, Sebastian Giussi, uh, I thought again, really good, like kind of, um, I think whenever we, it was still a rumor, I think I may have either fairly or unfairly called him the rich man's Diego Fagundes. <laughs> and I feel like Sebastian Drusi and Diego Fagundes are similar in that they can both, they can have like a pretty solid game and you don't necessarily notice them that much. No, I think, you think that's fair. I still think it's a really accurate description because a respect to Fagundes, he's a baller, but B yeah, Drusi is just like, I, I have a moment. This is what happens every single game, Landon at least lately is I watch the game. I don't notice Drusy directly. Like you just said. And then if I'm rewatching highlights or I'm rewatching the game or even just after when I'm thinking about it more, I'm like, man, what a player. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> he really, he's everywhere. And I, I just, I mean, you could, you could make a drinking game of like how many mistakes he makes and, and be able to drive home just fine. Right. Like he's, he's so sharp and, and, and effective. And I feel like he's, his work rate is what really elevates him in my mind. Um, just because to have that much skill 
but then to force yourself into situations and, and fight for the ball. And I mean, he's just like a workhorse, man. I think he's I so intelligent him. with his, with his movement, with his running that he can work that hard in the right moments. And he's not wasting any of that energy because mm-hmm. he's almost always in the right spot. And so he can afford to work that hard because he knows he's going to use that energy in an effective and efficient way. But I think part of it too is, and I totally agree with you, but I think part of it too is he can just run. I mean, yeah. he's, seems like he's in a full sprint at all times. And part of that may be to, like you said, he's just knows when to turn it on and, and when to wait. But I just, I'm not used to seeing a player of his skill level that is so clearly on a different playing field than the rest of the people on the pitch that also puts in such consistent work. I mean, he seems to really, really care. Um, and I, I love it. I love him. I love him. I love him so much. He's perfect. <laughs> so he he seemed to maybe take either a couple of different knocks or maybe it was the same one a few times, but he was moving a little bit slowly towards the end of the game. Um, we'll talk about rotations as we get into the previews of the next game, but I'm I'm a little bit concerned that maybe that will be a lingering issue. Hopefully not, but um, hopefully he... he do an ice bath and come out of that one just fine. Uh, Alex Ring. I feel like Alex Ring still did a few really good things, primarily defensively. I feel like he still made some really important tackles. Uh, but on the ball and attacking, I feel like this was one of his his worst games of the season probably. Can I ask you though, because I saw a lot of people say like, oh, this was – you know, Ring lost it for us tonight. He was so bad or this and the other. Like, do you think if he doesn't make that one big noticeable mistake, we even comment on him? Because I, I like think he- a lot of people probably don't comment on it, but I don't think that changes the fact that it wasn't a great game from him. He was pretty rough on the ball for the most part. Yeah. And maybe, you know, I, I trust your eye over mine when, when watching the game, but I... I don't know. And maybe it's just that he is so good that even a decent performance just looks bad by our standards of him. But I I don't know when I rewatched it, I I wasn't really frustrated with him outside of that one moment. I thought he had a lot of positive contributions and yeah, maybe not as sharp as he normally is, but you know, if that were Pereira, we we probably would have still called it a really good game for him. Right. And I think it just shows like how high the bar is for ring that he's kind of set for himself by just being so good. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Maybe not one of his best performances, but the caveat I put is I still think he was pretty good. And I think if it weren't for that big mistake, uh, people wouldn't be as focused on him for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was kind of counting and it was, it got over like five or six mark where he played a pass that wasn't on target and turned it over or got the ball kind of caught up under his feet and didn't carry it the right way as, as he should have and turned it over. So it there were several moments where he was the direct cause for giving Minnesota the ball. And that's exactly why I say I trust your eye over mine. <laughs> there's no damn way I'm, I'm counting passes. <laughs> uh, who else we got? Tomas Pochettino. What do you think of his performance? I actually, I really liked it. I'm scared to say that before you give your opinion now after that. Uh, just like <laughs> totally um, stat bombed me there. But um I, what I really liked about him is a, his work rate has, has been really good. Um, but I saw in a lot of moments, he, you know, he, he really pushed and made the run. It seemed like no one else wanted to, to keep the play alive, you know, especially out wide. Like I think Wolf's talked about a little bit. He's got to choose the right moments when to drift wide and when to stay to his position. 
And Wolf said he's seen some improvement there of not just kind of free roaming on his own, but sticking to the, the plan. And I thought he picked his moments really well. There's a few times the ball kind of trickled out wide. And if he doesn't make the run, it turns over and, and they can hit us on a counter, but he recovers it. And, you know, he distributes the ball really well in that final third to keep the play alive. And I think if you go back and watch a lot of those really good chances in some way can be traced back to him and just his, his willingness to go get the ball and, and make something happen of it. And, and kind of calmly make the right either cross in or, or just subtle pass to, to position us better. And I thought it was a good game. You know, it's, he had that big miss as well. So that's, you know, noteworthy um, in the same way I'm judging Cecilio. I think you got to give a little judgment to him, but the difference I see between those two players in a game like this is Cecilio is more of the attacker and he is that kind of take a guy on, make something happen kind of player. And so I expect more of that from him. And, and I think Pochettino contributes kind of like Drew UC maybe in so many little ways too, that, yeah, it's, it's frustrating when he doesn't hit those big chances. I know he had one really bad miss, but he contributed really positively in so many other ways. But I mean, tell me what you think. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, Wolf has, has brought up his kind of movement and decision-making several times throughout the course of the season. And I, it seems like they're kind of finding a, a middle ground between what Pochettino wants to do naturally and what Wolf wants him to do. And it seems like he is kind of moving in, in ways that want, that Wolf wants him to at this point. And he's getting in the box more often, which yep. I feel like him playing centrally, he seems to be able to do that a bit more naturally in that position. Uh, his defensive work s- continues to impress me. I I just he makes really hard tackles. Seems to be in really good positions a lot of times whenever we're defending, uh, which is early on in the season. I did not really expect to be saying that about him, but he's his defenses impress me. My biggest complaint about Tomas Pochettino is that he just tries to do a little bit too much sometimes. And hmm. there was a moment uh, in early in the game where. He was dribbling and it was one of those like you like dribbled maybe a little bit too far and like got away with it. And he had Cecilio out on the touchline open and he could have just played a very easy pass to him and kept the play alive and maybe continue to run and open up some space for Cecilio to drive into. And instead he tries to like do a spin move and turn into those two defenders and split them and drive himself and he loses the ball. And he did little things like that a few times last night and has done it in every game he's ever played in for Austin. And it's little moments like that where it's just like, keep it simple. Like don't, don't force it live to fight another day and keep the play alive and open up some space with a run or just play the simple pass and keep the play alive. Yeah. It's interesting you say that too. um, Because I feel like when we signed him, I was just like everybody like diving deep into the highlight reels and a lot of those highlights were moments where he does kind of drive through a lot of defenders and, and it, and basically that, that situation plays out positively for him. And I wonder if it's just a adjustment thing and maybe one of those final pieces that hasn't set in the place of him in this league, but it's funny you say that because I remember that being something I was like, Oh, what a good strength to have of this guy that can just carry the ball forward and, and really beat a few guys and make and all he that does space. It sometimes. But I think that's why it was a highlight reel. Like they're not going right. to put the times it doesn't work. And I, I think it's just a matter of picking his moments and knowing when to do it and when to, to lay up essentially and, and play the easy pass. So totally. Um, and I, but I think that's part of it, right. Is, you know, you'd, you'd hope a player like that as he adjusts more in the league, he gets more mature with that decision-making. Yeah. And, 
And even more so too, as they get more familiar with the system, now that we have all the pieces in place, maybe he just naturally knows when there's going to be a guy there and, and maybe isn't spending just a half second to, to think about, Oh, I'm just going to take it. Cause I'm not sure, you know, like maybe in those moments, it's just a little more natural. Oh, I know Sessie's going to be out wide. Or I know GTA is going to be hanging just off my corner. Like, let me dish it off to him. Right. So I, I think it's, it's definitely worth noting, but it's one of those things I think could easily be fixed as they adjust more to, to their positions in the system and also just players like him to the league. So the last player I want to talk about briefly is Musa Jite. So uh, I feel like they maybe struggled to find him as often as they would have liked to, but they found him in some pretty they played the ball to him in some pretty precarious situations that he was more often than not able to, to find his way out of, or at least play a safe pass back. But um, yeah, I mean, I wish we could have seen more from him or they could have found him more often, but I feel like with what he was given, he actually performed pretty well. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's another game where you look at him and you just say like, you see how much he offers outside of just goals. Like he really has a big presence and you could see him like you, you can't ignore him when, when we're that far up the field. And I think it's, you know, that piece we've been missing all year of, he kind of, you have to, he draws guys in and they have no choice because he's so physical and, and he's so good on the ball that, um, or, you know, I, maybe not always so good on the ball, but I think in, in the final third, he's so dangerous that you can't ignore him. And it kind of forces the defense to, make a decision. And even in moments where we couldn't quite find him, I think he opened up a little space by just being that presence that they had to be mindful of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one moment, I, I wish we could see him getting more shots. And in the 71st minute, he got a shot off at the top of the box that uh, it was, I can't remember how he got it, but it was um, the ball got played into him pretty, pretty like hard, at one point and it popped up in the air and then it like went off of the defender and fell to him and he just turns and is able to get this really quick shot off and blast it. And, uh, it, it might've been going over anyway, but Miller to be safe, oh, yeah. had to push it over the top of the bar, but just the quickness and the power he was able to get on a shot in that position is really exciting. And uh, that's, that's another thing I want to see more of is just, getting Musa in shooting positions and letting him get shots off because a guy who, who can release that quickly and hit it that hard is going to score some goals. Well, you got to note too, we kind of mentioned it a little throughout like Tyler Miller, the Minnesota goalkeeper had a great, game. he was very good. That's and true. That was a moment. He had a, a really nice save, um, whether it was going over or not, he, you know, he forced it there, uh, could have bounced back into a more dangerous position off the crossbar. But even earlier in the game, GTA had like a just dead on header that he he got really good contact on and Miller made an amazing save to keep that out. I mean, like, you know, again, I, think I think maybe the best one that he made was um, early in the game, maybe like 10th minute uh, Drew, you plays Cecilio through the middle, like a little slip pass through the middle. Miller has to come off his line. Cecilio tries to chip him. And on one of the replay angles, you can see like Miller is diving to his left has an arm outstretched to his right yeah. and saves the ball with that right Insane. hand as Cecilia tries to chip him. And so, yeah, overall, really good game. And if, if he's not as on his game, maybe we we sneak in one of those goals. But, uh, yeah, excellent Agreed. performance by him. Um, So let's get into some of our overall thoughts and takeaways from the game. So like we said, uh, 
the system seemed to be working fairly well. Get it, we got a lot of shots from pretty good areas, just not able to to finish them. Um, let's let's get into the subs. What were your thoughts on the substitutions in this game? Um, I like I like did would you did you want to see them come in earlier? I don't know. And I think it's what's really tough with this one. I don't know if there's a clear solution and maybe that's uh, you know, credit to Josh to some degree because we looked really competitive throughout the whole game. You know, there's I don't think there's one player other than Dominguez that you could single out as like really just not quite up for that night. And even like you said, he wasn't that bad. Um, I what I will say about the subs, because I don't know if I honestly have an opinion on if I wish they'd come in earlier or not. I I I can see the rationale for both wanting them a little sooner and, and leaving the guys on because they were playing well. Uh, but I do like that we brought on so much speed. That feels like a smart substitution. Um, you're bringing on guys like Gaines and, and Gallagher and uh, and Mane even. You know, it's like Minnesota played hard and and that was very noticeable and they clearly are tired and playing away. Like, yeah, bring on some pace and, and stretch them. I, I don't think we quite took advantage of that enough. It didn't um, seem like we really knew how to use it, right? Like, right. We were like launch some long balls, but they were kind of predictable and, and Minnesota didn't really have any trouble with any of them. And so I feel like we, sh- we need to come up with kind of that plan B where like speed is the plan, but you need, you still need to be smart and as to how you're utilizing that and not just launching it and hoping McKinsey Gaines can run onto it. And this is a, a weird comment I did not expect to make on this show, but I think this is a game where if Houston's healthy, you sub him in and say, you're going to distribute to these wingers who are going to make these bold runs forward. Yeah. And that's what he's really good at. Maybe where he lacks in some of GT's skill sets. I think he can do that really well, especially as a late sub. And then if you've got Gaines or Mane or Gallagher out wide and just say like, you make the through run every time, and just get it to Hoos and he's going to dish it forward. I bet you get a couple really good chances out of that. Yeah, that's that's a good point, actually. Um, so one other thing I wanted to to reference was very prominent chance of ref you suck started up in the 79th, 80th minute after a, a penalty shout on a, a I think what maybe should have been a foul against Gite. Uh what was what was your overall impression of the performance of the officials on that night Um, my only opinion on that chant is i wish we had done it longer Uh, (laughs) you know it's it's hard i i'm sure a lot of fans feel like this because there have been a lot of really bad ref performances against us and at at some point you start to feel kind of crazy right you're like how does it keep happening like surely it can't always be this bad but this game it it was one that you there's so many moments you're like how how it's it just seems obvious and it was really frustrating. I thought I thought the chants were deserved personally. Um, and if you if you got a whiff too, and the refs were walking off it at the end of the game, I mean, such loud oh, yeah. moves. I, I you could see them too, kind of like let's pick up the pace, guys. Yeah, like, <laughs> we got we got split. Um, but yeah, it's it's another bad refing performance, which is frustrating. And I get that's just part of the game. But I I thought the ref had a bad night. I yeah, I think there were a lot of moments that he got booed for or got yelled at for that were probably fair calls, 
but because he had made a bad call before that, like that's the reaction you're going to get. And so I don't think it was as many bad calls as a lot of Austin fans would say it was, but there were definitely a few in there and some of them pretty big ones. So, um, yeah, I, I wasn't super happy with that. Uh, so this loss actually puts Austin FC mathematically out of playoff contention. I don't know that we are in it really anyway, but, um, what's your overall take, I guess, on the game in general then, you know, because there's, there's a lot of points you could take from it, right? Like, uh, we're, we're officially out of playoff race. We, it's a game lost at home, but at the same time, it's a good team and they've got a lot to play for and, uh, the team played well. So, I mean, like overall, like, how do you kind of feel about it? Uh, a little bit mixed because I feel like there were quite a few moments from lots of different players that were pretty sloppy and could have been a little bit cleaner. But overall, like it's hard to argue with the kinds of shots we were getting and looking at the, the location of the shots we were getting. Um, it's just really it feels like the beginning of the season where it's so frustrating to not be able to finish any of them. Um, and we we kind of hoped that that would change whenever we brought in these players but it wasn't any of those players that missed them was it it was (laughs) the guys who Mm -hmm. have been here all season were the ones that were missing those not necessarily easy chances i don't think any of them were easy but ones you should at least be putting on target and and they weren't doing it so um i think overall a pretty a pretty decent performance just it was a lot of things were working and i think there's still some things to take away with and be encouraged about and like wolf said i hope I hope they're angry about it and I hope they come mm-hmm. out and, and can show some of that anger against San Jose and Houston. Yeah. But Alex ring, if you're listening, anger does not need to equate to a red card, you know, be mad, <laughs> exactly. but make good calls. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And, and maybe the one thing I'd add is I think this is a game where if you put the same teams out at the beginning of next season, versus the end of this one i think we win it because i think our players are still playing with this burden of the results they've gone through and are still adjusting and i i think if they've got the fresh start and they can just go in a little more confidently i think we finish a few of those chances i think we get a little luckier and i know it sounds kind of abstract but i really do think if this game was replayed towards the beginning of next season versus the end of this one it's it's a different result and i'm i'm curious to see what they look like after the season ends when they have that fresh start and they don't have to kind of have this pressure of, Oh, we've got, you know, we're, we're last, we've got so much we got to make up for every game. All right. Well, let's take a little break. We're going to come back after that and uh, touch on some bits of Austin FC news. And then we'll preview those games against San Jose and Houston that are coming up later this week. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to fvf.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fvf.law. Chris, let's talk about some hot sauce. Let's do it. Teardrop Pepper Company has finally created the perfect recipe right here in Austin, Texas. Their all-natural, award-winning hot sauce has a delicious blend of flavor and heat, enhancing your favorite foods and leaving you wanting more. Whether you like the zesty kick of golden habanero or garlicky smoothness of supreme serrano, 
It's the best way to spice up your Austin FC pre-match meals. Teardrop Pepper Company has two unique flavors available, and you can order them on their website, teardroppepperco.com, or from their social media pages. Use offer code GOAL, that's G-O-A-L, to save 10% off your order. Put it on everything, they'll make more. We are back. We're going to jump into a little bit of Austin FC news. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is Ben Sweat. So he's apparently doing a little bit of light training. He tore his ACL. Was it the second game in the season, Chris? Yeah. Yeah, at LA. Colorado. Uh, Colorado was the third game. I think it was the... Oh, no. I'm making... I don't know what it is. Well, yeah, it was against yeah. Colorado. You're right. Here I was thinking you knew more than me. For a <laughs> brief moment, you had me. Yeah, it was Colorado. So yeah, excellent to see him coming back. Um, yeah, I've said this before, but having him and Coleman's options on that left side would be great because Ben Sweat really did look pretty good in what little we saw him at the beginning of the season. And correct me if I'm wrong, but can't he play center back as well? I think he's played a little bit of center back. Um, I think he would like maybe in like a back three setup. I yeah. think he would maybe be okay there. But so if we're, if we're talking about center backs with a little more pace even just as a rotation option it, it could be a really nice piece moving forward so it's definitely encouraging to see him come back yeah i mean it just the fact that he's already on the roster we're not going to spend a bunch of extra money on him or something he's already here so uh it'd be a great addition to have him back probably not going to see him this year but to have him up to speed and fully healthy at the beginning of next season will be great the real worry with him, though, is he's getting healthy just in time for the expanson draft. I know. <laughs> Can he is, make it three years in a row? <laughs> I hope not. I would love it if he could stay. <laughs> but the stars are aligning. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to hit on is we talked about the Kervin Ariaga rumors last week. Uh, not long after that episode came out, uh, there's some more reports saying that he was linked to Minnesota United. And so there's there hasn't been any other any other rumors about the connection to Austin FC. The only thing that came out was that maybe Austin holds his discovery rights, which would mean that if Minnesota wants to sign him, they just have to throw a little bit of money Austin's way, which after watching some more film of him, honestly don't think he's a good fit for what we need. And so I'm not sad to see that. And my hopes at this point are just that we can get some allocation money out of Minnesota if they yeah. decide to sign him. Cause you know, it is a good fit for what we need money, money. money. That's right. Allocation that cash money. Minnesota. <laughs> uh, another thing I want to touch on is the Academy. So I went out to see the U 17s play this past Saturday. They're playing against Minnesota United actually. So that it doesn't always line up to where they play the same team as, uh, as the first team, but they were playing Minnesota United. I think the U-17s beat them 8-1. to one. They had scored four before halftime, uh, but looked really good. And I think an interesting note there is that two of our players for the U-17 team actually came from that Minnesota academy. So Minnesota's academy essentially decentralized, and mm -hmm. they don't have a full-time academy under – the Minnesota United umbrella. They just, there's a lot of uh, clubs that existed already. And instead of having their own academy, they essentially just pull in all star teams from these existing clubs. And so all these kids flew to Austin, will play this game, and they'll go back home and split up again and go play with their individual clubs all across the state of Minnesota, which is the reason those two kids left Minnesota and came to Austin to play 
in a full-time academy. And I, I don't know if this one game is, is enough to base it on, but maybe you can see why that's not the ideal setup because Austin FC absolutely demolished them. Landon, do you feel like at this point, the amount of academy games you've gone to, it's fair to say you're their biggest fan? <laughs> I was I was thinking about this the other day. I have been to more academy games than anyone who's not an Austin FC employee or a parent of one of the players. I, I can say that confidently. I, think. I love that for you, man. I <laughs> that, which I haven't I, been to that many, to be fair, but... <laughs> Sure, Landon, sure. But I hope that whenever one of them breaks through the first team and scores the first academy goal in Austin FC history, they they take their shirt off to reveal an undershirt that says, it's all for you, Landon. <laughs> I try not to interact with them ever because I still think it's a little bit weird that I'm a, a grown man with no connection to any of these kids going out and watching teenagers play soccer. But I actually, um, you know what, to, to your credit, briefly... And this is something I, I really love about our fan base in general. When I first got into to soccer, one of the things that took me back the most with uh, teams abroad is the ones that supported their youth system really, really passionately. Because I think it's just such a cool component that across the world is really rare. So I love seeing you or anyone else that goes out to support the kids. And I hope that down the road, it becomes a normalcy that you know maybe when they play a game against SC Dallas or, or Houston or, or just have a big game within their league that we bring a few hundred, maybe even a few thousand fans out and, and really hype them up, you know, give them a taste like that. That's like a dream for me is that we hit that level of support because I think anywhere across the world, that would be just highly respected. And I love that even now there's so much interest just in how the Academy kids are doing. So you're starting the fire land and I hope it grows. <laughs> One thing I do want to revisit from a past show is Owen Wolf. So because he is two days too old to play on that Academy team, He's only allowed to play against the other MLS teams. And so the last few games I've gone to have been against non-MLS teams. And so Owen has not played any games. He did play in this Minnesota game. Um, I don't know if he's maybe like getting into like getting fit because he hasn't been playing that many games, but he wasn't super involved in the whole game. There's the other kids who have been the standouts in every other game I've gone to were still the standouts, but Watching Owen Wolf in the moments where he would go in for a tackle or or carry the ball and, and make a driving run or or make a, a little flick pass or a little turn, uh, I can confidently say now that he is the most pro-ready player in the academy system. And so I just wanted to point that out because I know there's um, understandably so a lot of calls about nepotism for him being the first homegrown player. There are some other players in the system that may have a higher ceiling than Owen Wolf. They might end up being better players than Owen Wolf, but if you needed to put in any of the academy players into a first team game today, I'm picking Owen Wolf 10 times out of 10. And Owen, if you're listening, that call for a celebration earlier applies to you as well. <laughs> so if you get that first shot and you score a goal, you better have that shirt ready. I'll pass them out at the next academy game. That's right, Owen. I remember <laughs> that I believed in you. All right. Let's That's what the shirt should say is thanks for <laughs> believing in me, Landon. <laughs> uh, let's jump into the San Jose preview. So uh, that game is going to be Wednesday, October 20th at 9.30 p.m. It's a West Coast game, so it's going to be a little bit late here in Central Time. Um, the San Jose is currently 10th 
in the West. They've lost three games in a row. Uh, the last two meetings with Austin FC, it was a nil-nil draw. That was the home opener here in Austin, if you'll probably remember that. And then the absolutely wild 3-4 comeback by San Jose uh, not long ago. So there's both of the occasions have been a little bit the the first game was a little bit spicy and then the second game was a lot spicy and so it's it would be kind of interesting if there was like a little bit of a rivalry brewing between these two teams if the games keep going like they have the last two well if wolf knows what he's doing too he's gonna take that you know pissed off feeling from the ref and this past game and mix in a little hey remember how they what they did to us last time they came down and and those guys are going to come out ready to fight, you know, uh, hopefully we see it, but you're right. That's a good point. It hopefully is. And even more so an interesting note in this, I've heard that uh, their head coach Almeida is kind of getting on the hot seat because they're slipping so far out of the playoff run. And there is, while I love Matias Almeida and I wish him success in the world. I do love ending a coach's job. I love <laughs> the opportunity to be the final nail in the coffin and so, I mean, talk about rivalry. This is a good chance. Let's yeah. go. Let's go finish him off. You know, let's yeah. get him out of here. That would be pretty wild if we just embarrassed them on Wednesday and he gets fired immediately afterwards. I'm not gonna say that I think that will happen because Austin FC, right? But um, don't say so, that. I don't want that to be a thing. <laughs> some players, some players to point out here. Uh, I think one one player to watch, maybe not a standout, but Christian Espinosa who him and Kolmanich like had a battle in that first game. And in the second game, he's the one who Bradley Stuver just demolished with that like shoulder tackle uh, after like during that like goal mouth brawl that happened after the penalty. So that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, Lachofis was the player of the month for all of MLS in September. The last few games haven't been great, but he was on fire for, for a while there. And then Jeremy Abobasi, who we did not see in that last game because I believe he was just starting a little injury stint, but he's back from injury. So <clears throat> there's a chance that we see a play in this game. Um, on the Austin FC side, it's, it's another three game week. It is a little bit more stretched out this time. Like the last time it was essentially six days. This time we're doing Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday. So it is a little bit more stretched out this time. That being said, we we will expect to see some kind of rotation. What do we think that looks like in this in this window? Well, it's interesting because I think the only thing Josh Wolf has said about it is exactly what you just pointed out is it's not as congested of a three week or three game week as the last few have been. And he kind of alluded to we don't need to rotate as much. Um, I do think obviously there still has to be some rotation. Uh, I would hope and, and kind of expect that Cecilio gets rotated both kind of based on performance and just rest. Um, and I would love to see some speed take over that spot. Um, personally, I'd love to see gains on the wing for once and, you know, I, or Gallagher would be fine, but you know, this is something I don't think people take enough note of is, is Gaines is not a striker before we signed him. He's a winger and he had a nice moment in this last game too, in his brief cameo where he carried the ball out wide. And just when you thought he was caught out, he took it a few steps further to the end line and dished that cross in that got to Drusy's that, that really good chance at the end that he wasn't able to capitalize on. Um, and so I would love to see Gaines get a full 90 at, on the wing and, and utilize that pace. 
and even more so getting a bit into the tactics of it is San Jose has that really distinct man marking system. And if you're smart, you find a way to pull the right guys out of position and kind of one V one those wingers and just send them through. And I don't know how much Josh Wolf's thinking about that tactically, but all to say, you know, that it seems like we're lined up well to have some good rotation on the wing and hopefully give one of those speedy guys a good, a good shot. Uh, I'm, I'm with you there. I would like to see that. I'm not sure if we will see it just because GTA is likely going to needs at least a little bit of rotation, even if that's playing 60 minutes and coming out, but we're still in the same, the same pickle with not having any other strikers. And so I just don't know if if you play gains on the wing, if you have to bring GTA out at any moment, I feel like he's probably still the only option there. Well, I think that's a good point because, and I, I hope that Josh Wolf doesn't bench GTA for this because I get rotation. You want to keep guys healthy, but you know, we've taken our sweet time getting GTA up to speed and getting him fully fit. But if you think about his timeline of when he stopped playing before we signed him and where he is now, he's kind of just had his full off season and is now back into what would have been a European schedule. He should be really fit at this point. And so I would love to give him 60 minutes in this. Let's play naturally and hopefully get an early lead and then just try to close out the game. And I think the best way to do that is his presence. Like we were talking about earlier, we, we don't have another player right now that can bring the same presence around the box. And I think we need that to start the game off strong and, and kind of take advantage, especially when you're playing away. So I hope that, you know, we, we start someone like Gallagher or Gaines on the wing and keep GTA in that starting position. And maybe it's that whether Gaines starts or not, you just shift him into that or you sub him on into it. But I think it would be wise to start GTA again and just, you know, yeah, it's not ideal to start a guy three, three games in a week, but if you sub him early, you certainly can, you know, it's not unheard of. Um, and I think if there's one player we need to, to keep on and should be fit enough to keep on right now, it's gotta be him. Right. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I, in one of, I don't remember which press conference it was. It might've been the midweek one last week, but when talking about rotation and talking about gains specifically, Wolf essentially said like gains is going to get some minutes. Some of that will be starting. Some of that will be on the bench. And for me, I read that as being him starting at striker, but maybe yeah. not. We'll see. Um, the next game, which is going to be Saturday, October 24th at 4 p.m. is originally oh. scheduled for. So, Eileen, can I make one more point about San Jose before we yeah, move go for on? it? Uh, so this is really interesting. They're like I said, they've got this man marking system, which is super bizarre in the world of soccer. And uh, I think it was MLS Assist, which is a really good tactical podcast for anyone that doesn't listen to it. Like earlier on in the year, did a deep dive on their system and, and kind of how to beat it. And I believe one of the main points they made is the biggest wrinkle in that approach is if you have a center back that carries the ball forward, because it then forces, they have to leave one man unmarked and it's always one of the two center backs. So if you do that, it forces one guy to break their man mark and completely breaks apart the whole approach. And as we noted, we're starting to see Cascante all season has shown he can do that in the right moments. And now we're seeing Romania's ability to do that. So it could be a really ideal chance for if Wolf's team is studying that correctly to, to say, Hey, we want one of you to take the ball and move forward and, and make them break it 
and then that's when we we strike and especially I'm, too if in, you put speed up top then then it's right there for the taking right so in in the last san jose game it was romagna the man that they left unmarked and so in the second half that's when you started seeing attacking mil- midfielder johan romagna where he would make a run forward and then as we were chasing the game would just stay up there and so mm-hmm. i think you're right and i think another little wrinkle that i noticed in that game was alex ring would start deep and maybe play a ball off and then make a run like forward into the midfield, trying to get one of the central midfielders to kind of chase him and open up some space mm-hmm. there. So yeah, I, I think that's now that we've seen it and kind of know what to look for. I think that's going to be a really interesting tactical matchup to watch and see what, what they do to try to try to stifle us. And also what Wolf does to try to open up space because you can do some kind of weird, interesting things to do that and, and, uh, to, to try to break them down in ways that you probably wouldn't really try against other teams. Yep. Basically what we're saying is uh, Romagna hat trick of assist incoming. Co- yeah. Coast to coast buries it from 25 yards. Yep. All gas, no breaks with that man. <laughs> All right. Let's do the Houston game. So as I was saying, uh, it's going to be at 4 PM on Sunday. It was supposed to be at 3 PM initially. I, th- I think it got picked up on national TV is why it changed, but uh, Houston is currently in 11th place. They're two points ahead of FC Dallas, five points ahead of Austin. And so uh, they actually beat the Sounders 2-1 the other day. Darwin Quintero scored a really nice goal. I don't know if you saw that one or not, Chris, but it was definitely worth watching the the replay of. Um, I do um, not watch Houston Dynamo highlights. <laughs> no, so I did not see the goal. Uh, but Quintero, he had a good game against us last time we played them. Maybe I think that would be my vote for the worst Austin FC game of the season. I know we have a lot of strong candidates in that category, but <laughs> I think that's my vote for the worst game of the season. Uh, Quintero has kind of continued that run of form; has been really good in a lot of a lot of games over the last little stretch. Um, Aruti has had some good games. Pico has continued to have some good games. Corey Baird has had a few good games, so they're not always winning it, but those guys have been dangerous, and those are the kinds of guys who are dangerous against a team like Austin FC if we're not careful. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, the big change I've noticed um, in Houston's form as they've kind of hot, gotten on a little hot streak lately is, is Quintero, right? Like, he's they're including him more. He's, he's taking advantage of the moment. He's playing like a DP, and I think to that credit, that's kind of seems like the key to beat them is you got to take him out of the game. And considering rotation as well, you know, I, I would, I've said it before, I've given Wolf a lot of criticism. I hope he prioritizes as he has to the Houston game, but I think there's a way to rotate where, you know, whether it's uh ring and Pochettino or Pereira and Pochettino or ring and Pereira, but keep both of those guys a little further back than normal and, and have one of them really eliminate uh, the passes to Quintero, take him out of the game. Don't let him create. Um, and just clog that space in the middle a little bit more. Um, so I think there's a way to rotate effectively this week to where you can have a, a stronger midfield maybe in that game that's a little more defensive focus to really take away their key creator. Um, and knowing too, you know, Houston is so scary on the break because of guys like Pico. And so I think if you tuck in a little more, you don't have to worry about those 1v1 breakaways, right? So, so hopefully that's the approach. Uh, that's certainly what I would do. And if Josh Wolf reads all my text messages to him, he knows that's what he should do. Um, but it'll be interesting to watch 
kind of how they approach that because I think Quintero is kind of the key and it's, and they know it. And so we'll see how, how they treat him in that game. So one thing I, I watched a little bit of the, the replay today of that last Houston game. And one thing I was watching for is what we were doing defensively against them. And I realized because we gave up a goal in the first minute that we were maybe pressing a little bit harder than we would have otherwise. But since that game, it seems that Wolf has really settled in on this kind of 4-4-2 mid block in the defense. And in that game, it seemed to be that we were doing more of like a 4-3-3 and pressing a little bit harder. And so my hope is that we stick with what we've been doing in the last few games we've been successful and in defense be a little bit more in that 4-4-2 mid block and just not give them the opportunity to counter on us by pressing and losing the ball or pressing and like letting them slice through us like has happened so many times. So that would be my hope on the defensive side of the ball. I think offensively we need to just try to control this game. I I don't think there is ever a moment where even though we had 60 plus percent possession in that game, it never felt like we were in control of anything. Yeah. I, and I think too, that if we put in a performance like we did this weekend against Minnesota against Houston, we should win because they are not Minnesota. You know, it's like, it's a good example of, a, of a slightly lesser opponent that if you play at that level, you should walk away with three points. And um, especially after, you know, I, I remember Wolf seemed pretty, pretty ashamed after that Houston loss. So hopefully that's another one that he's, he's really going to hype him up for. Right. Like there's a lot of pride to, to take back from that. Um, and so I, I, I feel, I'm really excited to watch that game, not just because it's a, a good a state rival, um, but just because there's, there's some interesting tactical components, but also like if we keep playing at this level and this, this, this team we're seeing now, that's a little more subtle than a little more full strength this is a good game to test. Like that's a game you need to win. And San Jose is a game that you could win. Right. So it's, it's going to be a fun week to see, like if we're really at that level, there should be points on the table for us to take. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Is there anything else you want to cover before we wrap up, Chris? Um, the only thing, and just because I haven't officially said it on the podcast, happy birthday, Landon. Okay. Oh, thanks, one. Chris. Thanks. All right. We want to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we also want to ask you to continue the conversation with us uh, on Twitter. We've had a lot of fun on Twitter today. <laughs> I'm at LVAHero87. Chris is at? Chris Wellhausen. Oh, easy one. That's it, yeah. <laughs> and then you can find uh, the show at Moon Tower Soccer on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, visit the Striker Texas website. Is there any? Have you read any articles that you would want to pitch on there? I kind of sprung um, that on you last minute. Yeah, and it's okay because I'm an avid reader, and honestly, I really, really enjoyed the joint mailbag between Chris Bills and, and Phil West. I thought that was so much fun, um, and not just because Phil gave me a shout out in it, um, <laughs> but it really, you know, like I think uh, mailbag kind of kind of reads aren't always super entertaining, but they both do such a good job of really diving deep in the questions they're asked. And I, I really liked it. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer. We're going to review uh, both of those games we just talked about, and then we'll preview the Copa Tejas match against FC Dallas. And if we beat Houston, this is something we failed to mention. If we beat Houston, then essentially the Copa Tejas championship is that game against Dallas. So, 
even though we're out of the playoffs, there's still a little bit of something to play for here. You better believe if we win that, I will never shut up about it on Twitter until next season. <laughs> so there's a lot on the line here, boys. But if we lose it, then it's uh, it's a small trophy. doesn't matter, right? Exactly. All right. All right, we'll be back <laughs> next week. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Chris Wellhausen. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Muchas gracias. Bye, bye.